What we really need to do is understand the love that the universe has for us. And if we actually operated from this place, all of a sudden we'd slow down. And then we wouldn't effort, 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 which creates resistance, which is the opposite of receiving. And then we become receptive. And then we start receiving. And all of a sudden, balance starts to happen. We start to operate like the ocean where the waves go out and come in, like the trees where the leaves grow and then fall. You know, every every part of nature teaches us how to operate in the world and yet we ignore it. Today's guest writes something that I think may resonate with you. When you're constantly focused on what you could do for others, how you can show up in the world and make things happen, without balancing the effort with rest, support and love, you end up exhausted and overwhelmed. Or worse, you start to lose sight of possibility and your sense of purpose. Patty Lennon's mission is to ensure that you and every other good person knows exactly how to build those receiving muscles so that life feels easier and love expands in your life. Because she believes you're not alone, the divine loves you, the universe does have your back, you just need to learn how to receive at the same level you give to experience that love and support. Today, I'm excited to share Patty's story and the magic she helps people find. So my friends, be open, enjoy, and get ready to receive. This is not the first time you've done a podcast since I know you have a podcast, which I've listened to, by the way, it's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But for those listeners who don't know who you are, or maybe have just heard of you and want to know more, Patty, I'd love to start with, how would you describe like what you do? Like what, you know, how do you show up every day and what do you do in, in the business world? I used to be a business coach and I don't do that anymore. So, you know, I think the quickest way to refer to me is an intuitive coach. Generally, what I see is my role is to help people understand how to work with the metaphysical experience. You know, how do you let the universe help you? And why does a lot of the stuff you've probably heard either not work or sound like a lot of bullshit? And the the other side of that is there's brain science behind the stuff that does work. And there's a lot of misinformation out there. So I try and facilitate conversations to help people understand why a lot of the spiritual or personal development stuff that's out there doesn't work for a particular person. Man, I love that. Before we unpack some of that, and again, this is changing for me because I am so excited about digging into that. I would love to, if we could just talk a little bit about the path of what kind of took place in your life, Patty, to get you from your previous coaching job or business that you're in to get to, I don't know if you'd call it a, an awakening or a realization of how you receive the universe. Mm -hmm. Can you give us a, the story there? Yeah. So I was a type A corporate banker. I had no interest. I shouldn't say I have no interest, but I really didn't really play a lot in the space that is the world that I'm in now. I was very regimented before I became a banker. I had, I was pre-law and I was planning on going and becoming a public defender and then a senator. And I had very specific 
regimented, rigid <laughs> goals. And those changed for reasons that we won't bother getting into right now, but they had to do with me being in love with the Constitution, working in our justice system, and finding out it was broken and that broke my heart. And I ended up leaving college, wandering aimlessly, falling into a banking job, staying there for 15 years, finding the rules and structure to be really normal for me. I was just a rule follower. And then all of a sudden one day waking up and wondering if God would be disappointed in me for how I was spending my life. Wow. And then that was what ultimately led me to get a master's in psychology, to start on the spiritual path, to ultimately leave banking, a, an industry I still to this day love. So I didn't leave it saying, oh my God, so they're evil. It wasn't that, I love it. But I just felt called to do something more. And as I developed my own business, business coaching just paid better. <laughs> Well, you said something that really resonated with me. And that was the question you asked yourself was, you know, would God be disappointed in what I was doing? That's, that's a very soul rich human question. So when you explain that to someone, I was kind of reading some of your materials and I saw this phrase, I would love to dig into this. And you say, you are not alone. The divine loves you. The universe does have your back. You just need to learn how to receive at the same level you give to experience that love and support. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I have to tell you, I just got goosebumps right now. And I may have even welled up a little bit seriously when I first saw you speak at the hall conference and I was, you know, learning more about you. Can you unpack that a bit? Yes. So, um, you know, that was the question I had. It was a, the original question is, would God be disappointed in me? And I think we all live our lives, whether you use the word God or collective unconscious or universe or source, is this idea that we're somehow letting down this divine being in some way that fundamentally we are flawed. And so we all operate from this this consciousness that we're getting it wrong and how do we avoid getting it wrong? When in fact, now for the work I do, and I am, I it although I don't like focusing on this piece of it, I am a psychic medium, and this was a late in life gift. When people's spirit team come through to them, when their loved ones, when the divine collective unconscious comes through in a reading, the very first thing that a person is told, especially if it's the first time they're connecting in this way, is we love you and we're proud of you. And that is always the first thing they want us to hear. And we we don't know it. We just walk through this world not knowing it. And as a result, we constantly perform and perform and we give and we effort in, in an attempt to fulfill what we feel is fundamentally flawed in us. When what we really need to do is understand the love that the universe has for us. And if we actually operated from this place, all of a sudden we'd slow down and then we wouldn't effort, 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 which creates resistance, which is the opposite of receiving. And then we become receptive and then we start receiving and all of a sudden balance starts to happen. We start to operate like the ocean where the waves go out and come in, like the trees where the leaves grow and then fall. You know, every, every, 
part of nature teaches us how to operate in the world and yet we ignore it. Mm. I love that. That's beautiful. How much of this, as you put it, feeling of being flawed or imperfect, how much of that do you feel is a a DNA type thing or a cultural thing, or is it kind of a little bit of both? Yeah, it's both. So especially when you look at DNA and what we know now is that we inherit not just attributes from our parents, but actual ancestral wounds. So, you know, they can track now if your family of origin, you know, your birth family of origin went through a depression, went through a famine, there was pieces, you know, that shows up in the DNA, like it affects you, right? So you're carrying down through your DNA, this fundamental feeling that you are not safe. And so then your brain, your amygdala, the fear brain is constantly looking, how do I make myself safe? And it's taking pieces of the puzzle, putting it together to create an equation that isn't accurate. And so if, if your, you know, your ancestor tried their hardest and ended up, ended up impoverished and children of that, of that person died because they couldn't be fed, then they're going, their brain is going to conclude insufficiency in themselves and then if they don't heal that they then pass it down in their dna the cool thing is that when we heal something for ourselves we heal it seven generations back and seven generations forward we just heal it at the metaphysical level at the psychological level behavior level right you, we all know how things get passed down but we have this dna shift that happens do i have genetic proof of that i do not i just believe it and i've seen it I've seen it. I've watched myself heal things and seen the women in my family with the same core wounds start to show up differently. So it's, you know, it's, it is part DNA, but it's part psychology. And then it's also environmental. We are all growing up and continue to raise our children in systems where failure is not embraced and shown as simply a piece of the puzzle of getting to success, but it is something to be avoided at all costs, which then teaches us, teaches those children that anytime you fail, you're imperfect. You're insufficient. The man, I dig that. So let me push on one point a little bit, just for those that may not, or feel uncomfortable, or this is kind of new thinking for them. Mm -hmm. And that is, as you shared that, you know, as, as you change, you can impact those around you and they change. And again, I'm paraphrasing there. You can please, please correct me. How, what about if someone says, uh, Patty, that's, you know, that's great, but you know, really what's happening is you're just changing and your perception of those around you is changing because you're changing. How would you, how would you push on that? I might not push on that. I might just love all over that. And then we could go into like quantum physics and is there any other people on this planet other than you? And is everything really just a mirror of your own reality? So I would, that's where I'd start is I would just love all over that thinking because if someone was coming at me with that, that tells me that they've just opened the door and they're perceiving what I just said through their understanding of it, which is which is all I ever want to do is just, can we come to a place where we're hearing each other? 
and we're thinking about what each other is saying. That's how we receive each other, right? We don't have to agree. Um, But I would say that I have taught this for now for three years, specifically, I have a program called the receiving school and I focus on learning to receive, like that is what I teach. And I do it. I speak from stages. I teach it in a pro online program, work with clients. And I think I have enough miracle stories to, to prove that it's, there's a bit more extreme experience of it than just a perception thing. Like there's actual tangible things like lots of money showing up in bank accounts or addictions disappearing, or suddenly a child who didn't even want to go to school suddenly really showing up in their classwork and wanting to fix their learning problems, you know, like real tangible experiences. Mm. Well, let me share with you part of why I think we're here. So I was introducing the speaker that came after you at this conference that we were both at. And I was a little frazzled, you know, I was kind of running around and I went early to be in the room and, and you were presenting. And the reason why I was pushing me a little bit with you on that last question is because something really extraordinary happened to me personally, right? And so I'll tell the story and then and then maybe we can dissect it, okay? So I walk in and I'm just like, oh, what is this talk about? This this isn't this, this is gonna be a waste of my time. Right. <laughs> and then I walked in and it was, if you remember, your room was bursting at the seams. And I'm like, wait a second, what's going on here? I sat down and I was absolutely brought in by your energy and you're a great presenter. You're very funny, but you're also, I think the best way I could say it with where I'm at personally right now is it felt very human and welcoming. And so you had immediately brought me in and I was trying to like devour everything that you were saying and catch up to where we were. Right. And I would suddenly then I was annoyed a different way. I was like, why didn't I come earlier? <laughs> why didn't I see them from the very beginning? And I was drawn to come talk to you like right when the your talk was, your, your presentation was done. And so I remember when I was walking up to see you, I was like, okay, what is this about this moment? Why does this feel so important that I need to talk to Patty? You know, where am I at personally right now that I am drawn like a magnet to talk to you? And then you were very kind and welcoming. There was a bunch of people around you. And I, and I said to you, Patty, I need to talk to you. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and I was thinking about my podcast for sure, but I'm talking about, just want to talk to you about the receiving school and other things. And I have a feeling you have that experience more than, uh, obviously more than just me. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So with that story, how would you just, We've not preset this up. We haven't talked about this at all. So what do you think was going on in that moment? Well, so because I've done the work I've done and I learned how to let go of my resistance to people, I am in a constant state for the most part. And definitely when I'm on stage or when I'm in that place, because I prepare myself specifically to receive people as they are. And so when we're in the presence of being seen and received, it relaxes us. We think that we think we need certain things to feel safe, but really we just need one person that says, I'm going to take you exactly as you are. And suddenly 
a lot of things change in our psychological chemical makeup. And then once those things start to shift, the amygdala powers down, the higher thought process powers up. That's when we can start to receive the love that the divine has for us, that the world has for us, that we have for ourselves. And that one experience, that feeling state can transform us. It can make a moment in time where we suddenly understand something about ourselves that we didn't understand before. And that's what I've always sort of chalked it up to because like you referenced that conference, the title of my talk was Make Space for Magic. I think at work, this was a design conference. We had said like the direct, you know, the, the person that runs the conference, the person that brought me in, you know, is this title gonna fly? Because this is not kind of like on par with a lot of the titles, but I'm like, this is sort of what I teach. Let's just put it out there. I trust the energy of the work. And I and I was open, maybe five people would show up, maybe a lot of people would show up. And then all of a sudden people started coming through the doors and was it the title? No, because they people had the exact same reaction you did. Like, what the hell? Why are they taking a space on the speaker circuit of this conference? to teach this fluff. And yet people, as they came to the room, start texting their friends and saying, I think you're supposed to be here. So yeah, I, I don't know if that answered your question. Well, no, it, it totally did. And, and to clarify, this is <laughs> this is my ego speaking up saying, I did not think your talk was not appropriate for there. I wasn't in the mood for that talk. And luckily I was uh, able to be open and shift really quickly just by being open to what some of the few things that you were talking about. And we're definitely going to get to that here in a minute. But what do you think, Patty, from your work, from your perspective, maybe I should say, what is it about us that we just crave and desire to be seen? And yet it's so hard to let us, to let that happen. That's such a good question. So, you know, when we're young, right? Like at the age where we could, before we're verbal, we are completely vulnerable and open, right? We love our caretakers, no matter how effective or deficient or loving or not loving they are. We just are love. We are love. And then we start to understand that some of the behaviors we have, pre-verbal, smiling, burping, crying, affect the energy of the people we love and we want them to be happy whether you know as adults we would say they deserve to be happy or not right as little tiny babies we want them to be happy and we start to take in the cues of when people are happy around us and when they're not and our full spectrum of beingness doesn't make other people happy right there's parts of us that disappoint people there's parts of us that make people angry that just is, right? And so as we, as we grow up, we learn to push those parts away and lock them away and close them away. And sometimes we take them out in safe spaces, but for the most part, there are always parts of us that we locked away that stay locked away. And yet wholeness is our, our desire. And so even when we feel seen, we mostly don't feel fully seen. We feel that there's pieces of us that are not being seen. And so the craving is actually from these parts that are locked away. 
that's awesome explanation and is part of the things that we put away that's really other people's issues and not ours right like we're 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 getting back feedback from others that makes us feel whatever it is shame or inadequacy or whatever and so as as humans we decide we're going to cut those out so we can fit better would that be a, a way to to maybe phrase it yeah. And what we, you know, what you asked about earlier, DNA. So your amygdala, like my amygdala, that fighter, that's the part of our brain that controls fight or flight from an evolutionary standpoint, that's the oldest part of our brain. That's the most ancient, you know, it was before we were like these higher thinking mammals. And so it is always looking for how do I stay a part of my pack? How do I stay a part of my tribe? Because thousands of years ago, the only way you could stay alive is if you stayed a part of the pack and you stayed a part of the tribe, you would, you literally couldn't be out alone on your own that you would never have survived. And so the amygdala is always fighting these higher thinking parts of the brain that come up with these bigger ideas and better solutions, but are actually younger parts of the brain. So ultimately when your fear kicks in, when the amygdala grabs hold of the blood flow in your brain, it's always going to win. It's always going to win because it's got, it's got the strategies, it's got the thought processes to grab you back. And it's a much older form of thinking where staying acceptable is more important than anything else. But yet where we are in our evolution, being whole from a spiritual standpoint, is more important than anything else. For your soul to survive, you need to get your full parts out and playing in the world. Not not your physical parts. Nothing gross and weird here, but like <laughs> your your human your self parts. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. Oh, that's great. Well, you don't know this, uh, but my talk, which was by the way in the same room two days earlier was called, I called it for all brand kind. And what it was about was this ability to authentically show up. And it was funny because they ended up switching my day and, and time slot and, and, you know, at conferences, there's certain spots you like to be in or whatever else. And so I was kind of grumpy at first. I'm like, Oh, I got the kind of death slot right after lunch. Like, you know, everyone's going on a nap, whatever. Mm. But I remember walking in thinking, you know what, if five people show up, I'm going to give them the best talk of my life for, for five people or whatever. And, and I had, I had a, a, a decent crowd. And, and, but my point is that at the end, it didn't bother me. But there's something that I also read that you wrote and it was on your site. And I was cracking up because this was one of the things that I shared with the, the, uh, the people who came to my talk that is something that's really transformed me. So let me read this a little bit. Whenever we're in dark times, we must always remember that it is not our destination. That what is happening is happening for you and not to you. There's a bigger plan and I promise you the time you're in there is to help you become who you are meant to be and to reach your highest good. So I would love to get your perspective on this. This is a statement that actually a phrase that a dear friend and advisor gave to me and she's an amazing CEO of a big company, but I was telling her about something and she was, when are you going to start having the attitude that this is not happening to you, but happening for you? And that just rocked my 
my world. So I'd love to get your perspective on that statement and why you, you feel that's so powerful. Well, you know, when something's happening to you, it's being done to you. You're in a state of powerlessness or lowered power, right? And ultimately, we want to feel powerful, not powerful over other people, powerful over ourselves, right? Powerful in our own life path. And so when an occurrence happens, you know, someone's mean to you, someone rejects you, you, you put out a new brand and people don't light up. You know, you'd release a website with a full like brand makeover and people aren't responding. Right. And it feels like it's like, there's this energy coming at you that tells you, I want to hold you down. And we don't have a real function on where that's coming from, but we pretty much attribute it to God or the universe, like, you know, smiting us or some version of that. Right. And all of a sudden, if you switch the word to for, this is happening for you. The thing is, our brains are programmed to figure out why something's working. And so whether, no matter what, or to answer a question, so no matter what you feed it, that's what it's going to search for. So when you say- Because our brains are very black and white, right? They're kind of dualistic. It's usually fight or flight, right? It, it, they don't perform well in grays unless you- can condition yourself for it? Is, is that a fair assessment? I think that's a fair assessment of the amygdala for the lower brain. Otherwise, I think our brains are much run much more like a computer than we really understand. Meaning you feed it certain software programming and it's going to run that programming. Now that can be your thought process, but it also can be as simple as when you give it a question to answer, it's going to search for that question. Or when you feed it a paradigm, it's going to, to filter out everything that is not that paradigm. So you, you in yourself, you don't even know you're saying it, but you're like, this is happening to me. You're, you're in this stress place. Your, your body starts to react as if something is coming at you. All of a sudden, your mind is like, how do we defend? And then it goes into, it gives a lot more blood to the amygdala because that's the fight or flight response, right? When you say this is happening for me, all of a sudden your brain switched gears and it's like, oh, okay. If this is happening for me, it doesn't question. Oh, okay. It's happening for me. You know, it's like a puppy dog. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, is that what we're doing? All right. So it's happening for me. Okay. Then all of a sudden, you know, someone's mean to me or, you know, here you have a sales call and the person just says no. Right. And then suddenly you're attributing it to be that you're no good. You know, like this is, you know, they, they weren't ready. They're not open. They're not listening all this. Oh, it's happening for me. Oh, maybe I'm meant to improve my sales conversation. Maybe they would have been a difficult client. Maybe I'm meant to be offering something else in the world. You know what? I don't like offering this $500, $10,000, $100,000. I need to be offering the million dollar offer or the totally different area I'm working in, right? Your brain switches gears and it finds meaning and it's quality meaning, loving meaning in what's happening. And all of a sudden the filter changes the, the narrative. Hmm. So how would you respond? Maybe you wouldn't respond, but how would you respond if someone said to you after hearing that? How would that? Wait, that, so how would you respond if someone goes, Patty, that's just, you know, brain gymnastics or tactics. Uh, it's really not going to lead to, you know, those possibilities. Do you have a response for that? Or do you hear that? 
a lot. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I hear that specifically because, but I, I'm gonna, I am gonna respond to it. But I think it's really fascinating. Obviously, I, you know, life is happening for you, not to you. Whatever it is, is happening for you, not to you. When any person hears that statement, you you experience the truth of it. Like mm. your your chest sort of expands, you sort of soften inside, right? Yep. We have a natural response to that wisdom. We know there's something in there, right? But the, I didn't come up with that. That's just something, a tool I was given and it works. And I, I understand why it works in the brain, but there's a bigger truthiness to it. If someone's going to come to me and they're like, that's bullshit. You know, like you're going to tell me my child getting sick and forming that to me. You're going to tell me me losing my job and us for uh, my house being foreclosed on is happening for me, not to me. And what I would speak into that space is this is not a time for you to feel that this is working for you because there's a middle place you need to get to that this is happening for me not to me is is a tool that works well when the the thing is small but when the thing is big or you have endured repeated traumas that you don't understand are traumatic right you are in a constant state of rejection by the people around you healing has to happen first and it's not important and what i would say to that person is tell me your pain tell me your story because what that person needs is not for me to convince them that their pain isn't real they need for their pain to be witnessed and i think we all need to give each other a lot more grace where that is concerned yeah i agree and that also gets back to being seen to to realize pain is also to be seen authentically for what's actually happening in your life now oh, that's great and first of all, the reason I'm asking these questions is because for a lot of the things that you talk about and share, I feel completely aligned with. And as I was getting ready for this, I'm like, what were the limitations? What were the blocks? What were the closed doors that I had before they're open? I'm not saying they're all open yet. And and I would be willing to bet that you would agree at some level that this is an ongoing process for our entire life. Is that fair to say? Yes, for me as well. Yeah. So, you know, another phrase that I just use a lot is something I read actually from Father Rohr. Um, uh, I love him. I don't know if you know him yeah. and his work. Yeah. So he, he uh, was one of our first guests on our podcast and, and he talked about the both and thinking. And, <laughs> and, that's my idea of a celebrity guest like there's like very few that i would that would get more excited about that well he was he was very graceful we did a book cover from years ago and we had a great experience i didn't even know who he was then and then i read the book and i'm like oh my gosh i was in i was in the presence of just an out of this world thinker and he was so gracious to um allow us to come down to the center and interview him and i loved i'd be talking about something and and i could tell he's waiting for me to catch up like he was already light years ahead of me in whatever we were talking about. And he said to me, something along the lines of both of those things can be true. And, you know, he was teaching me how to think, think more non-dualistically. And he shared something very similar to kind of what you're talking about. You know, when we're young, you learn things in a dualistic way. You know, you, you learn something's hot by touching it, 
right? And then you understand the opposite's cold and that sort of thing. And so as we as we kind of evolve, we tend to kind of carry that thinking unless we do some work into that. Is that part of what you experience too? Is when you have people that come into your space that they often will have that sort of dualistic perspective and is the both and concept um, resonate with your work? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one, one of the places like I dive into with people is what I call the rejected self work and rejected self theory dates back to like 1907. It's inside a lot of psychological theory, but interestingly enough, it sort of fades into the background with a lot of theoretical work. But what it essentially says is, you know, what we talked about earlier, that we're taught to reject ourselves, right, in all these ways. So, you know, what I find is, and a really common rejected self is the lazy self. And so growing up, we find out that if you're on the couch watching TV, when there's leaves to be raked, or there's garbage to go out, or something like that, that you're bad, you're lazy, right? When there's work to be done, and you are resting, you are lazy, you're bad. If there's work to be done and you're doing it and you're not resting, you're good and you're not lazy, right? You're productive. And it becomes that dualistic thinking that there's only ever lazy and not lazy, good and bad. Whereas sometimes laying on the couch and watching TV is the most productive thing, right? And so learning those, those sort of like learning how to unpack and see the dualistic thinking about yourself based on the way you grew up. Is, is some of the most important work that I think we have to do to, to get to this place of wholeness and, 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 and to be able to receive the gifts that the universe is sending us. Because a lot of times we're not receiving the ease, we're not receiving the abundance because inherently we're like, shit, we took a day off. Or, mm. well, you know, so like fundamentally we screwed up. So we're yeah. not deserving. Oh man, you just described dimensions of me right there something that I need to need to work on. Well, but this is great. So how do you how do you take all of this perspective and receiving? How do you then apply that to your to your business to what you do now? Yeah, how does that work? How, if someone was to come and want to work with you or what is your what is your perspective, you know, from from the receiving school and other things you do? Can you kind of outline that? So, you know, so I don't, I no longer work with people one-on-one. And so the way that I kind of do my work in the world, what I find my major role is, is to make sure this message gets out there, right? At like, you know, when I look and like people say, if you had a magic wand and you know, all the money to fix all the things in your business or whatever, for me, it would be that I could hire enough people so that I could be on the road and on podcasts like this, like this would be my whole job. Right. And, um, but there's other things functionally that I do. And until there's more teachers of teaching this method, the receiving method in the world, I'll be doing some of the coaching. So when I'm working with people, whether it's for free in like giving a PDF out or putting a Facebook post out and improving the copy on it, or I wrote my book or, um, running the receiving school, Everything I do is based on the receiving method, which is just, you know, some, some rules, like some kind of guideposts, but underneath it, it's just when someone encounters me, wherever they are at, when they leave me, 
Um, whether it's they read something I wrote on social media, they read my book, or they're in receiving school, or they're in one of the other programs I have, they come into a room where I'm speaking. When they leave, do they fundamentally feel feel God's love for them at a deeper level? Do they, is something shifted where, and if they wouldn't call it God's love, do they feel just more loving towards themselves or more seen or more understood? And to me, if if I succeed at that metric, then then I've done my job. I don't know if that's what you were getting at or you want to actually know structurally what I'm doing in my business. Well, that's sort of my, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so, so when I look at, and I'll put all this in the show notes for people to get to know more about you. When you look at things, like for example, at the receiving school, you know, part of the title of your site is allowing the money, love, support, intuitive guidance the universe is sending you, which is awesome. But uh, how would you explain that maybe more more practically, right? So, Oh, okay. Uh, so like, yeah. how do I actually get you to like accept more of the gifts that like, what do I do to yeah, make this transition? Like, yeah. Okay, yeah. Like on the yeah. magic lounge, awaken clarity and allow in all the abundance of the universe without effort yes. or confusion. Like that's beautiful. Like, so, how, so how do, how tell me more, that? tell me more. Yeah, how does yeah. that actually happen? Yeah. So, I mean, at the, at the heart of it is I teach everything from an experiential uh, level. What I mean by that is the theorists that I studied that I learned that I got my psychology degree on are they taught their theories based on what's called the phenomenological approach, which says that when you deposit into your environment a different behavior, word, thought, action, then you have been depositing, the environment's going to react differently to you. And it's changing that cycle that actually reprograms your brain. And I have come to dis- to discern that is the easiest way for adults to learn. So that's that's how I teach. And then the stages are at stage one, learning to receive the outer world, which most people think, and you've seen this probably in like personal development course, receive a compliment, receive an offer for help, like don't reject those things, right? There's one other place though that I don't see a lot of people teaching into, which is you have to receive the difficult stuff. You have to receive the discomfort. You have to receive the difficult people. It doesn't mean you keep them. And that's what most people are confused about is that if I let this in, if I allow in the truth that this person that's near me is uncomfortable to be around, if I let in the fact, I had over six figures in debt, my husband and I had over six figures in debt, the transformation and getting out of that debt, the, the pivot point was when I accept it, I have the debt. Because a lot of law of attraction teaching act as if you don't, right? Act as if you're in financial abundance. The thing is, you have to receive it to release it. So it's receive the outer world. Then it's receive yourself. That's the second level is receiving yourself, receive your inner world. The third level is much more practical, which is clear your space. And that means a lot of times it's clutter clearing but it's clearing your calendar of things that no longer support you. It's clearing your inbox of people that shouldn't be taking up space in your inbox. It is physically and cloud-wise getting rid of things that have an energetic relationship that are negative. The fourth is learning your language, which is understanding how the universe uniquely speaks to you because it speaks to everyone differently. And then the fifth is understanding what your 100% is and only doing that. 
And that's really understanding how to surrender. So a lot of people understand that they're supposed to surrender, they're supposed to let go, like that they can't control everything to the finish line, right? But no one ever explains, okay, how do you do that though? Like, how do I let go? How do I surrender? And so then that's the final piece of the puzzle. And that's the receiving school, the full journey. And then the magic lounge, which is my membership, it, it dips into those pieces, but at a much lighter level, because it's a space that's meant to be people showing up and saying, I believe in the magic of the universe. I don't always let it in, but I would like to be in community with other people that at least have this fundamental belief so that when someone is elected to office or when there's a pandemic or when there's something happening that other people are complaining about, I can come into community and talk about it through this understanding of receiving. Oh man, that's great. So the Magic Lounge and the Receiving School, you can get to through your website. And again, I'll share those links. Before I um, I let you go today, I'd love to also talk about your book. So tell, tell us more about your book. So my book is Make Space for Magic. And when I originally wrote it, it was a memoir. It's now a nonfiction book. And my original intention when the book was written was, you know, I, I just touched on a little while ago. I, at one point we had six figures in debt and we've had other really difficult things happen to us. I have personally, and I think a lot of people think when they listen to a teacher or a speaker and they, they're at a finish line that you're not quite at yet, whether it's a spiritual one or a financial one or whatever, that's hard to envision that they've ever dealt with the insufficiency you're dealing with now, whether it's a resource insufficiency or a courage insufficiency, whatever it is. And so it feels like what they're teaching feels good, but you're not sure how to connect the dots to where you are. And so my main goal with that book, it was to, and, and is to show people when we were in debt, when my mother was on her deathbed, when I was, you know, technically infertile, how what I teach worked in my own life. And then where we shifted from memoir to nonfiction is I actually outlined those five steps and like showed practical ways to apply them and then showed client stories on how they worked for them in for like when you said earlier, what if someone says to you, you know, oh, that's just brain gymnastics, you know, saying like two and the four some of those stories show like how this person applied this and, and really what shifted. Man, that's great. So let's talk about uh, you for a minute, but like from your perspective, mm -hmm. this is just something that's coming to me right now. Um, how do you, like, how do you feel when you work with someone and the things that you really believe in start to happen for them? Like, how do you describe how you feel about that? That's such an interesting question. So my core wound is based in actually one of the questions you asked me when you, when we first met was, are you at a three on the Enneagram? And I'm actually, I didn't know I hadn't taken the Enneagram. Your question actually had me cause I've been meaning to actually, yeah. a lot of people, it comes up and, and I'm a two. And so I'm actually a helper. And what, you know, that's my core Enneagram, meaning yep, I'm not. Yep. And so my core wound is if I don't really take care of everyone, no one will see me as lovable, right? Mm. And so I want to be 
be honest about the flavors that kind of come underneath the surface. So the first time when I see something really magical happen for the person, I just feel a tremendous sense of love to the universe and to them for finally like letting it happen, right? And and that's my initial experience, just this oh, overwhelming feeling of love. And then the second, the, the underneath layer, the more human amygdala-based layer is relief. Like, okay, I did my job. Right. Because my job in my mind is, even though I know I can't disappoint God, I still wonder, you know, am I, <laughs> am I using my life as, right, right. to its full purpose? Am I right? Am I right? Yeah. God isn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. God isn't like waiting for that, but, but there's a part of my body that is, you know, part of my physiology that is. And then, and then the, the sort of like the deeper layer I feel is just more courage and confidence in my own life. So like always there's things where I haven't let go yet, I haven't surrendered. And those stories very selfishly kind of get me to a, a stronger place in my mm. own journey. But it's, you know, it's the craziest thing is when those big things happen, I'm always like so happy, especially like having watched someone when they, when I feel them. Cause that the coolest thing is I feel it, the shift before the proof shows up in their reality. So I'll feel it like a week or a day before something happens. And so I already know it's coming. So it's almost like I'm biting my nails, waiting for, you know, it to come. But sometimes when I have like a, a, a natural, I don't practice, I don't do a lot of psychic mediumship work because I believe my work is really to help people know their own intuitive voice. And I use my gifts to kind of just sh to help them navigate them. But when I do the, do those sessions very rarely anymore and something like horse with a rainbow saddle, let's say comes in, this is not a real thing, but I just, I didn't want to violate anyone's, you know, privacy. And then they tell me, when I was little and, and the horse is facing to the left, which for me, when I see something facing left or right, it means they're pointing to their past or their future. And, and then I keep hearing the word Susan, Susan, Susan. And then they tell me, oh my God, I used to ride and my riding instructor was Susan and I always wanted a rainbow saddle. Like that was something I dreamed of. Those moments are like, what going to the amusement park used to be when I was a kid. It's like, oh my God, magic is real. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, even though fundamentally that doesn't shift a lot in the right. world to me personally, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> like, oh man, that is fantastic. Well, I think my closing question would be, Patty, is what do you do to like feed yourself, keep you yourself energized? I've only been around you a couple of times and you feel just to be really, what's the word I'd look for? I, I mean, approachable, but just like energy, I feel like is just coming off you. What do you do to keep yourself in a healthy state of mind or healthy um, receiving posture? Almost every day I try and be out in nature in some way, shape or form. And I try and do it at the start of the day, if at all possible. So I go for long walks in the morning, but just me and myself regularly questioning goals that I've set for myself and whether they're ego goals or I feel truly guided to pursue them, having like ego checkpoints. And then being really honest about where I am and letting that be okay. To me, that's the biggest one and it's the hardest one. You know, like when we came out of COVID, I was 
and still am carrying extra weight that I put on during that time. And, you know, when I find myself slipping into that space of, oh, can't you lose the last 10 pounds? <laughs> is, you know, really processing that and going to, hey guys, Team Patty, is this really what we want to we want to feed us today? Like, or does maybe we could love on ourselves for really working hard to make sure people know they're loved by God and you know are good people? And like, you know, maybe we could just remind ourselves we went through a global pandemic and not everything is going to get fixed in a hot second. So that I think has a lot to do with how I show up. Mm. Oh, that's great advice, man. I can totally relate to that. Especially when, I don't know why we do this, but when stuff's going on in our life, I, you said something earlier that we just try to like compartmentalize it or shove it away, but there's something really freeing, even when you say it by yourself to yourself out loud yeah. and say, this is happening yeah. and I'm receiving that that's happening. doesn't mean it's great, you know, but something shifts there and there's a little bit of magic there. So. Mm-hmm. Patty, I could talk to you for all day. So I want to say thank you for sharing just a little bit of your perspective and uh, just some of your brilliant approach to life. And I can't wait to share this with our audience. And I just want to say thank you so much for your time. Oh, Justin, thank you. And thank you for coming up to me that first day. And thank you for being willing to let me, you know, spend this time with you. I do truly appreciate it. Hmm. Thanks, my friend. Thank you so much, Patty, for sharing your story and magic. For more on Patty, go to her website, pattylennon.com. P-A-T-T-Y-L-E-N-N-O-N.com. I also want to thank Sleeping At Last for providing our show soundtrack. For more on Sleeping At Last music, please go to sleepingatlast.com or search for Sleeping At Last wherever you get your music. To Design Of's audio engineer, Steve Wick, who loved this episode so much and made him think of his favorite magical music. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did making it. If so, please give us a ranking on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. Tell others about our show on your social of choice and stay tuned for more of season eight coming soon. Please follow us on Twitter at Design of Podcast and check out our site at rule29.com forward slash design of podcast. See you next episode.